welcome to the 1909, your home at the state news for everything happening on campus and around Lansing. I'm Lily Gwinney. So it's been a while since we've last talked. We took last week off for fall break, but now we're back and a lot has happened. So this week we'll be recapping too many things to list in the intro, so let's get into it. First of all, and for the last time, hopefully, is Sam Stanley still MSU's president? Yes, but not for long. Um, If you listened to our last episode, you'll notice we recorded it the day before President Stanley's resignation when I did this question and said yes, so that was an unfortunate timing situation. But Stanley announced on October 13th that he's given the Board of Trustees 90-day notice of resignation, citing lack of confidence in the board. The search for an interim president began immediately, and Stanley said that he's offering his support and full cooperation with the search for his replacement. Upon Stanley's notice of resignation, there was an uproar among student and faculty organizations. The University Council passed a vote of no confidence in the Board of Trustees, and several local political figures spoke out on the resignation. State Representative Julie Brixey, who represents MSU in the state legislature, said that the board's actions were, quote, shocking and deeply disturbing, and that she found Stanley to be a stable and transparent leader for the university. Last week, various faculty and student leaders signed a letter endorsing Provost Teresa K. Woodruff for interim president. The State News Editorial Board also released a statement published last week that it has also lost confidence in the board, expressing disappointment at the lack of transparency in the process of events that led Stanley to resign. So, an interesting factor to consider in processing all of this information, there's a lot, is that Stanley's resignation is inherently different from those of his immediate predecessors. Luana K. Simon and John Engler both resigned in disgrace after transparency issues regarding the Larry Nasser case. Simon was even taken to court regarding her involvement, though the charges were ultimately dismissed. Engler was accused by a Nasser survivor of, of attempting to bribe her out of pursuing a case against the university. In both of these instances, the public was made aware of the reasons for the president's resignation, and we had a clear timeline of what ultimately happened. In this case, as far as we know, Stanley hasn't done anything egregiously wrong, and if he has, that information was never made available to the public. What we're dealing with is a disciplinary situation that's been cloudy from the get-go, ever since former Dean Sanjay Gupta of Broad College failed to report misconduct. Somewhere along the line earlier in the semester, something happened that triggered the board's disapproval and led to the conflict we've seen play out in the press. The key issue is that throughout the entire saga, there hasn't been any indication as to why this is all happening. We don't know. Faculty at the university doesn't know. Governor Gretchen Whitmer doesn't know. And now we're forced to ask if the Board of Trustees knows, and if they do, why haven't they explained to the MSU community what's going on? And there's a lot of confusion here, but we here at the State News are committed to bringing you the most comprehensive and timely coverage we can. We'll continue to cover the rest of Stanley's tenure and the forthcoming transition. Now let's talk about drugs. After student advocacy, Narcan will be available through the MSU Pharmacy. Narcan, or Naxalone, is an opioid overdose treatment that can be used in emergencies and has been life-saving in millions of overdoses. Psychology senior Jenny Bullis decided to start pushing for Narcan availability on campus after being trained in how to administer it herself. She said that Narcan doesn't have the visibility or awareness on college campuses that it should, and that her goal was to make sure that more members of the community knew how to obtain and use a life-saving form of medical intervention. MSU's pharmacy now has a standing order for Narcan, and students can get it for free at the pharmacy's South Hagedorn location. Bullis isn't done fighting for Narcan access, though. 
She said that her next steps will be to getting to get Narcan into dorm buildings so students can have fewer barriers to obtaining it in emergency situations. As overdoses, especially from fentanyl-laced drugs, continue to be a problem on college campuses, Narcan access is an important element of keeping students safe. So when this podcast airs, we will be about a week out from election day. It's been a long run. I'm tired. You're tired. Everyone's tired. But let's take a look at key races around Michigan. So Governor Gretchen Whitmer is still polling above her Republican opponent, Tudor Dixon, but their gap has narrowed from around 11 points to around 6. And it's important to remember that polls tend to tighten up close to the end of a campaign cycle, and they shouldn't dictate whether or not you decide to vote. Don't make your voting plan based on a poll. Just pro tip, never do that. (laughs) So Attorney General Dana Nessel continues to have the narrowest lead over her opponent of the three top-of-ticket candidates at around five points. And Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson is also polling close to eight points ahead of Christina Caramo in their race. Polls open at 7 a.m. on November 8th. And these races are all predicted to be nail biters that may not have concrete winners until the next day, depending on how long it takes to tabulate mail-in votes. In other news regarding what's on the ballot, Proposal 3 has stayed at the top of Michiganders' minds in the past couple of weeks. In their second debate on October 25th, the gubernatorial candidates were asked how they'd legislate around the abortion rights amendment if it's passed. Notably, Dixon said that if Prop 3 passes, she'll accept the will of the voters and enforce it if she's elected governor. Whitmer fired back that voters shouldn't trust Dixon, who denies the results of the 2020 presidential election. Either way, Proposal 3 was last recorded to have a 64% approval rating among voters, so it's looking like whoever's in the governor's office will be working with a state that has reproductive freedom enshrined in its constitution. Let's take a second to run over our ballot proposals. It's important to make sure you know what each one of them means before voting on them and that you don't skip them on your ballot. Proposal 1 will be a question regarding term limits for state legislators, extending Michigan's legislative term limit from six years to 12 years between either the State House or the Senate. The proposal also contains a provision about campaign finance and is aimed at giving lawmakers more time to govern without being focused on campaigning. Make sure to give it a read, and you can find all of the ballot proposals in full on the Secretary of State's website. Proposal 2 concerns voting rights. Supporters say it would complete the work started in 2018 when voters passed a ballot measure that now allows us to register to vote up until Election Day here in Michigan, among other things. Prop 2 would create a nine-day early voting period and require the state to fund absentee ballot tracking and drop boxes. It would also make it illegal to harass, intimidate, or threaten voters, both in legal regulation and at polling places. And as we know, Proposal 3 is the Reproductive Freedom for All Amendment, which would make abortion legal in Michigan, striking the current 1931 ban that's on the books. It would guarantee that every Michigan citizen has a, quote, fundamental right to reproductive freedom, including abortion, but also birth control, contraception, and other family planning methods. It wouldn't prohibit elected officials from regulating abortions in the future after a fetus reaches viability, but it would make it illegal to prohibit abortions that are deemed medically necessary by a doctor to protect the physical or mental health of the mother. The amendment would also prevent the state from prosecuting or penalizing individuals based on pregnancy outcomes, which means that people who have miscarriages cannot be targeted by abortion bans. In other states with strict abortion bans, we've already seen cases where women who've miscarried have been prosecuted by the state under the suspicion of having had an abortion. Proposal 3 would prohibit that. Supporters of Prop 3 say it's necessary to ensure abortion access in the future for all Michiganders. Opponents of the amendment say it's radical and confusing. So while we're talking about ballot proposals, let's take a moment to clear up some misinformation that's been circulating around Prop 3. 
You may have seen ads on TV saying that the proposed amendment would allow minors to get gender reassignment surgeries or sterilization procedures without parental consent. The proposal doesn't actually negate Michigan's current law, which states that minors under 18 need parental consent or a court petition to obtain an abortion. Even if Proposal 3 passes, that law would remain in effect unless legislators decide to strike and replace it. Pro-life groups have also argued that the language of the amendment means that non-medical professionals could legally perform abortions, which isn't true. This is also operating under the assumption that Proposal 3 would wipe clean the 41 existing laws regarding abortion that Michigan already has, including regulations on the types of professionals allowed to perform them and the health and safety standards for abortion clinics. The authors of Proposal 3 have released statements saying that the amendment would not negate any of Michigan's laws surrounding reproductive health care, aside from the 1931 abortion ban, and that lawmakers would still be able to decide under Prop 3 if they wanted to keep the existing laws intact. So the gist is, is that no one is trying to give your underage kid complete medical autonomy, and your masseuse or Uber driver won't be allowed to perform an abortion on you. It's important, if you have questions about the proposals, to actually read them, And look for info from unbiased sources like Ballotpedia, which is what I use to get all this information about the proposals on, on what they mean and how they might affect you. So in some brief MSU news to take us out, ASMSU has elected its next vice president of governmental affairs. We welcome Sophia Stratch to the position following the resignation of former VPGA Ishan Modi. Stratch is a senior in James Madison College who has previously worked as a state liaison and said that she wants to focus on issues like affordable housing and economic advocacy for students. ASMSU also passed a bill last week to make Election Day a campus-wide holiday in which classes would not be held to give students the opportunity to vote. It passed unanimously and will now be considered by administration. And that's it for this episode of the 1909 from the State News. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, airing every Monday, and signing off from East Lansing, I'm Lily Gwinnie.